0: Betty John
1: Smoltz is. If you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail, or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can
2: be truly great. Candace Parker.
0: I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that I've grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television. Speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports.
2: How Gasol. To me,
1: all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground, and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important.
2: Damian Luller.
0: That was for Seattle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio, now Here's Brian Berger.
1: Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. A great guest lined up for you today Haley Rosen, the CEO and founder of Just Women's Sports. She's going to join me to discuss her growing media company, whose investors include Billie Jean King, Joe Tsai, Hillary Knight, Kevin Durant, and Rich Kleiman of 35 Ventures, and Abby Wambach. She's also going to discuss. With us, the growth of women's sports and why investing in women's sports is a smart decision for sponsors, media companies, and business people. Dust Women's Sports recently announced a $6 million funding round. They're now valued at $36 million. Rosen is a former pro soccer player and walks us through her founder story as well. So Haley Rosen coming up on our show today. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you?
2: I'm doing good, and uh, it was nice to meet Haley at the PR Summit in New York, and she's just uh, a passionate woman that just loves what she's doing, and her business is growing like crazy, and uh, man, it's just a, it's a great outlook for women's sports. She's really helping it, and um, I'm excited for her ventures, and this is a fun interview today.
1: Yeah, I think people are going to really like this interview. She's super smart, and uh, she sees where things are going with women's sports, and she is certainly capitalizing. All right, before we get to the interview, let's get to some sports business headlines of the week. Griggs, the Warriors, win their fourth title in eight years. Steph Curry is named MVP. Uh, He finished fifth on Forbes' highest-paid athlete list in 2022, earning $45.8 million on the court and $47 million off the court for a total of $92.8 million. He's one of the most marketable players In the NBA, he graduated from Davidson University with a bachelor's degree in sociology this year. So it's been a big year for him. The Warriors spent a league high $179 million. But boy, uh, you know, Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole. These were players that really helped the core of Steph, Clay, and Draymond win another title.
2: I tell you, in game six, you just saw that championship, you know, DNA they have in that, uh, that whole organization because they put it into, into high gear and just said, we're going to win this title and they want it going away. And uh, yeah, I mean, they built a great team. You've got an amazing coach there that knows how to develop young players. And uh, I mean, look out for them next year. I think they're going to be competing next year, too.
1: So the final ratings are in and it was about 12 million people per game that tuned in on average for the NBA finals. So again, those are decent numbers. Um, they certainly won the night every time they were on. But when you look at historic numbers, they're not in the top half. So, you know, good audience, Griggs, two, you know, well-known teams. The Celtics are kind of the up and comers with uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown playing in the finals for the first time. But, uh, you know, the Warriors are known to many since they've been in the finals, uh, you know, for eight years. So, Uh, I think you have to look at Steph Curry now in, you know, the top 10, top 15 players of all time category as well. Four rings, um, you know, what he's done to change the game before he came in. The three was, you know, being utilized, but not like it is now. And um, he's really been an innovator and has changed the game. And, you know, you look at back when we were growing up, it was, you know, you have Kareem or. Moses Malone or Wan or someone like that David Robinson in the low post now it's all about the perimeter game and when you look at the player who really changed that it's Steph Curry
2: well yeah and I mean he's the all-time leader he shows it every single game he shows up he he can make crazy shots from anywhere on the court um and like you said I think we grew up in the era of the big guys downtown and are down low and now it's all about the three-point game I mean there's so many three-point shots in a game over 30 usually every single night by either team and uh it's just a massive part of the game it's exciting the fans love the long shots they love the four point play potential and uh Steph has changed the game he was fun i don't know if you watched any of the uh, parade yesterday what a crowd downtown and he was loving it he was amped up he was fired up it was fun to see yeah
1: i like the 90 night shirt you know he he definitely uh that's his go to move when he puts the game away and uh you know he's he's wearing the 90 night apparel now and you know kudos to staff and Steve Kerr, and Clay, and Draymond, and Bob Myers for creating a culture with the Warriors that can see someone like Kevin Durant come in and, you know, integrate seamlessly. Or when Durant leaves, you bring in an Andrew Wiggins and develop him to his full potential. Or you develop Jordan Poole. There's not many organizations in sports that can develop players like that. And the Warriors are one of those teams that will coach you up and, you know, they did a great job. And look, if Wiggins and Poole don't do what they did this year, this team does not win the championship. They could not have relied solely on their stalwarts of, you know, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. That wouldn't have gotten it done this year.
2: No, I agree. I think uh, it was all the assets of the young players and just the the speed of that team is fun to watch. I mean, they're so they're young enough with the new guys that they really keep the ball moving. And I mean, Wiggins going down the lane a couple of those games in the finals was just unstoppable. So uh you know, they just have a lot of assets. I think uh, they are a fun team. They're good for the game. The kids love watching them. You see kids posting TikToks all the time, dribbling like Steph and everything. So it's it's fun for the game. It's good for kids. It's, uh, it's growing the game, I think.
1: All right, our next headline, let's talk some golf. Matt Fitzpatrick wins the U.S. Open. At the beginning of the week, Griggs, he was plus 2,500. So you could have won some nice money if you put down a little wager on Matt Fitzpatrick to win his first major At the U.S. Open, a compelling tournament, Griggs. It came down to the end. Uh, Scotty Scheffler was right there. There were some big names on the leaderboard, Rory. Um, But once again, a compelling major that came down to the end. It wasn't a route. And, you know, that made for pretty decent TV
2: ratings. Yeah. I watched most of the tournament. I thought it was really fun. I enjoyed the, uh, the leaderboard Saturday and Sunday. It was just all over the place. I mean, there was a new leader after every hole and it was bouncing around between three or four guys and yeah, it made it compelling. Uh, the weather was playing a factor. It was cool. Um, yeah. It was just a, what a fun course too. Lots of challenging courses, huge bunkers. Uh, I enjoyed, uh, enjoyed watching it for the weekend.
1: Usually that would be the big golf news of the week, but it was overshadowed by the announcement today, as we record this, that Brooks Koepka is leaving the PGA Tour for the Live Tour. So here's yet another uh, prominent PGA Tour player who is leaving for greener pastures, a uh, lesser schedule, um, you know, a lot more money that comes with playing on the Live Tour. It's going to be interesting to see. This is the first Nike athlete that has left for the Live Tour. Does Nike stick with Brooks Kepka or do they dump him? Like many of the sponsors have dumped the players who have joined the Live Tour. So that's going to be interesting to watch, Griggs.
2: Yeah, I think that's probably the most interesting thing about this is just, yeah, do sponsors follow these big time athletes? And like we said last week, does the Live Tour get some kind of broadcast partner? I think sponsors obviously need the, you know, their stuff being seen by more and more people. That's why they sign up for these guys. So I think that's a key that's going to keep some of these sponsors around Is if uh, the Live Tour can get broadcasting and get some streaming rights and things going like that. So the first Live Tour event in America is going to take place next week right here in Portland,
1: Oregon at Pumpkin Ridge Golf Course. So it's going to be interesting. Again, Brooks Kapka, Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau. You know, some big names have been uh, migrating to the Live Tour. Others are rumored to follow. What does this mean for the PGA Tour? It's going to be interesting to watch. Speaking of the PGA Tour, Nick Faldo has announced that he's stepping down from the lead golf analyst role for CBS at the end of 2022. Trevor Emmelman will replace him. So Nick Faldo has been a longtime voice on TV. Griggs, I like his analysis. So, um, you know, I'll miss him.
2: Yeah, I think Sir Nick Faldo and uh, Jim Nance have a good banter. He will be missed. But uh, golf has a lot of good, good names. I think Trevor will do a good job stepping in. And uh, there's no shortage of great golf analytics and analysis and people that can step in there and do it. So it'll be fun to see what CBS does rolling forward.
1: I've always wondered, like, you know, at some point, is Phil going to step into that role? You know, how long is he going to play? Obviously, he's getting 200 million to play for the Live Tour, but I've always thought like Phil might be an interesting analyst at some point. So who knows? Maybe that's in his future down the road. All right. NHL Stanley Cup Finals. As we record this, the Avalanche lead the series two to one. This has been a series of lots of goals, Griggs. Um, You know, we've seen the Avalanche score. I think it was seven goals in game two. Um, The Lightning scored six goals in game three. So lots of goals in this series so far.
2: Yeah, I've been watching every game and uh, it has been crazy. Those first two Colorado games in Colorado, they came out just like a bat out of hell. I mean, they were scoring everywhere. They were just dominating. And then game three, Tampa was back in their arena and they showed it. They kind of dominated the game. They had four goals, I think, in the second period that kind of put it away. But uh, it'll be a fun series. I think this will be tied up going into game five. I think it's going to be a fun series. Hopefully it goes to seven.
1: I think the Avalanche win the next game and then they go home and wrap it up. So I think it's going, what, five games if my math is, is right. I think the Avalanche win the next two and, and close out the series. But we'll see. Uh, you know, Tampa has been great the last few years, but I just think the Avalanche are too good, historically good. So we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, let's talk some soccer. Apple is going to pay Major League Soccer a minimum $2.5 billion over the next 10 years to broadcast all of its games. So Griggs, this is the first time that we're seeing a league go 100% streaming. No over-the-air, it's 100% streaming. Um, Apple already has some Major League Baseball games, but they're going to have all of Major League Soccer's games. That's going to be really interesting to see how this works. I'm a big proponent of streaming. I'm a streamer. I think it's the way of the future. You can watch on multiple devices. Um, it's less expensive, but you know this is going to be interesting. MLS is kind of the first to dip their toe in the water of, okay, we're going 100% streaming.
2: Yeah, I think I was reading a little bit about this yesterday, too. And from what I can tell, too, no blackout dates. So you'll be able to watch any team anywhere. And that's kind of fun, too. Um, I know the downside that some of the local teams were saying is that I think they're kind of chopping the local broadcast out. It's going to be kind of all the a national national vibe. But, uh, you know, I'm down for it. I think Apple's obviously moving into the sports world more and more and uh, they have a good platform. It works well on all the platforms. So looking forward to MLS on Apple. So just to give you some
1: comparison English Premier League makes $1.64 billion per season for the next three years. La Liga makes a little over $1 billion per season through 2027. And now MLS is going to make $250 million per season through 2032. The one thing that's surprising, it's a big deal, but anytime you do a 10-year deal, you I mean, how do you incorporate inflation in there, right? Like you get the security of the 10 years, and $250 million per season. But what if things explode in the next five or six years? Are you leaving money on the table? I don't think there's an opt-out after five years or anything like that. So they have locked in for 10 years. So that's going to be interesting to see how that works.
2: Yeah, and then you bring up a good point. 10 years is a long time. You think about that. uh, That's a long ways from now. And you're right. Things are obviously going to change in the world. There's no stopping that. So it will be interesting if there's money left on the table. And if this blows up and it becomes a big, huge deal, they probably are going to be like, oh, maybe we should in a five year deal on this one. But uh, again, I'm looking forward to the streaming world and uh, I will be definitely watching.
1: Yeah, I'm always a fan of shorter deals, three to five years, get some security, but don't lock yourself in for potential growth. So 10 years, we're going to see how that works out. All right. Our last headline. FIFA announced the full slate of cities that will host the 2026 World Cup. Here are the cities, Griggs. Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Miami, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Seattle, Toronto, Vancouver, Mexico City, Guadalajara, and Monterey. So it's going to be in North America. It's spread out, obviously, between the U.S., Canada and Mexico. Those are the cities. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think they covered most of the most of the big ones that have big arenas and places to play these games. And I mean, the World Cup is always just I love it. It's it's must see TV. It's going to be fun having it kind of in our domain. So, um, yeah, looking forward to 2026. But I think they covered it. I think you got all the major markets that are going to be tuning in and it should hopefully get some good ratings.
1: Well, and it's interesting. Uh, every city that I just mentioned, they're not hosting this in soccer stadiums. They're hosting this in NFL stadiums. So you're talking massive stadiums that can host these games. So obviously, FIFA is expecting big crowds. It's usually what they get uh, for the rest of the you know world. So, uh, you know, this should be no different. But it is interesting that these will be played in NFL stadiums. All right, coming up next, Haley Rosen, the CEO and founder of just women's sports. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Brian Berger here. Roan is the new official menswear partner of Sports Business Radio. I love their product. I've been a fan for a long time. Did you know David Stern was one of their first investors? Roan makes the absolute highest quality, best fitting and most comfortable performance driven clothing for men. Their entire line places emphasis on an active balanced, and purpose-driven lifestyle. I'm wearing my spar joggers. I've got them in uh, heather gray. I've got them in navy. I've got my moleskin commuter slim pant. I've got my regular black commuter pant. I've got my dress shirts. So when I'm out in in in-person meetings, I have the nicer Roan product to wear. But most of the time, I'm working from home. And I've got my rain long-sleeve gray heather camo. I've got my rain long sleeve hoodies. I am wearing the shorts for workouts, the seven inch Mako shorts. So I'll tell you what, from top to bottom, whether it's casual or business wear, Roan has me covered. I know they're going to have you covered too. And Roan is offering sports business radio podcast listeners 15% off your purchase. Go to Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com and enter code sbr 15 at checkout like sports business radio 15 sbr 15 at checkout receive 15 percent off your purchase that's roan.com r h o n e.com and enter promo code sbr 15 at checkout My guest is Haley Rosen. She is the CEO and founder of Just Women Sports. You can find more about them online at justwomensports.com. I had the pleasure of meeting Haley in New York a few weeks ago at the Sports PR Summit. Haley, how are you?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. It was so nice to meet you in person and, uh, you know, just a great 50th anniversary of Title IX panel. It's interesting. So Hillary Knight is an investor in just women's sports. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was the first time that you guys met in person, right?
0: It was the first time we met in person and we've been working together for over two years. So that was wild.
1: That's crazy. I bet you have a lot of those right now where, you know, you're probably meeting people in person for the first time after doing business with them for a few years.
0: Yeah, like so much of that right now. And it's funny because the conversation is always you're taller than I thought. or You're shorter (laughs) than I thought. It's always about how tall people are.
1: That's very funny. So you were a pro soccer player. You had injuries that ended your career. Let our audience know kind of the founder story here with Just Women's Sports. How do you go from being a pro soccer player to the founder of Just Women's Sports?
0: Yeah, so I mean, as you said, I I was a soccer player, played in college and played professionally. And really what that experience did for me is show me everything that was happening in women's sports. And when I was at Stanford, you know, they had to add to the stadium multiple times, to add more seating because we kept selling out and people wanted to watch the games. And then when I was playing professionally in the U.S. and abroad, you know, every team, every league, we were selling out stadiums, attendance was up, viewership was up. You could feel and see the momentum. And it was very clear that something was happening here. Something was happening in women's sports. And I had a bunch of injuries, had to retire much sooner than I admittedly would have liked to. Um, went back to the Bay Area, was working in tech, and it's kind of like, all right, I'm a, I'm a grown up, I'm starting my, my life, but I still cared a lot and I wanted to follow along. and. It was really, really hard. And we all know now, you know, it's this total lack of coverage. Three, 4% of sports media is dedicated to women's sports. So just not a lot of information out there. But then on the other side, because I was actively seeking it out and wanting to follow along, I was seeing that the content that was in the space didn't feel like the world I knew. It was very young. It was hyper feminine. It was a lot of lifestyle content and I was just like, where are the sports? Like, this is crazy. You know, where are the highlights and the stats and who's at the top of the table and the bottom of the table? Like, you know, I had been in this world and I was seeing the momentum and I was seeing the interest. And then now I'm on the outside of this world and I'm not seeing anything. And that doesn't make sense to me. And so that was really the whole idea for Just
1: Women's Sports and how we got started. So it's one thing to see the void and see the need it's another thing to be as smart as you are and basically put together a business plan around that. Walk me through that process. How did you say, okay, this is the need and the void that needs to be filled, but I have an idea for how to fill that void and and I'm an entrepreneur and I can put together a business plan around that.
0: Yeah. Um, I'd say admittedly, I don't know that we started with much of a plan. (laughs) Um, you know, initially The thesis was always something is happening in women's sports. People want it. People care and there needs to be media around it. That was always, always the thesis. We started as an Instagram account because, you know, I was looking at this space thinking, you know, we need editorial coverage and we need stats and we need to make the games more accessible. Where do you start? That's super, super big. And so we started on social. We started with an Instagram account and basically we started just reposting women's sports highlights and news and analysis and updates. And that account just really started growing. Like we went from zero to 30,000 really, really quickly. And if anyone has seen my personal social, you'll know that like, I'm definitely not an expert. So for me, that was a ton of validation that like there is something here and there are people that care and they're excited. And, you know, the comments on the account were really positive and people were stoked on it it just felt like there was this community building. And that was really, you know, that was kind of our proof of concept that, hey, if you cover women's sports like sports and you talk women's sports like sports, and that means, you know, get hype, get excited, don't be afraid to be critical. um, And we make it accessible, you know, via mediums like social where we know there's already an audience that is, you know, following pages and they're active and they're engaged. We could build around this. And, you know, from there, we went on to launch newsletter or Twitter um, and eventually went on to launch our first podcast. And when we launched our first podcast, that was really our first sort of formal, you know, launch and kind of coming out moment. And from there, it feels like it's just been a sprint.
1: So your Instagram account, Just Women Sports, is currently at 242,000 followers. So it's really uh, exploded in growth. I want to talk to you about your last week. I mean, as an entrepreneur, this has to be a dream. So Just Women Sports just announced a $6 million uh, funding round led by Blue Pool Capital, the family office of billionaire Joe Tsai. So you've got investors now. We talked about Hillary Knight before, Billie Jean King, Joe Tsai, Abby Wambach. Uh, Allison Felix, Paul Rabel, and 35 Ventures with Kevin Durant and Rich Kleiman. That's kind of make you feel pretty good. It adds a lot of credibility to <laughs> what you're doing. But here's what I want to know when you are sitting down with investors and you're giving them the pitch to invest, what's your pitch?
0: <laughs> you're really putting me on the spot. Um, what's my pitch? You know, it's funny. Yeah, like first off, this was a really exciting week. And like, I'm just really, really proud of the team because we for so long were scraping and crawling and fighting for an opportunity. And it, it feels like really, really validating and just feels really good to really get, you know, these big time players on our team bought into the vision, bought in on us. And like, I think this is about to be a really, really exciting next chapter for the company. Um, you know, so much of my pitch in the very early days of just women's sports was fighting for women's sports. Like so many of the questions I got were, you know, is women's sports a real business? Like this should be a nonprofit. Oh, you should focus on lifestyle. Like it was so much just about like, you know, look at the numbers. Look at how many people are are following, are viewing, are attending. Like there is a real shift happening. Someone is going to be the winner, and we believe it can be us. But like that was really where I had to focus a lot of my attention and energy. Feels like something has really changed in the last six months or people get that. And so this round of funding was really about, you know, who are we in the marketplace and where do we see ourselves fitting in and how are we going to become really, really big? And so for us, you know, we want to be the one stop shop for all things women's sports. And the way that I sort of see the landscape, the way we view it is two things need to happen for women's sports to be mainstream. One, we need to make the product accessible. And by product, I mean like the on-field, on-court, on-track content. Like you need to watch these women compete. Like you need to see the highlights. You need to know the stats. You need to know the game. And right now it is really, really hard just to watch women's sports. You will never stumble across a women's sports game on TV. I stumble across men's sports games all the time on TV. So we have to solve that. It needs to be easier just to watch the product. But then on the other side, I don't think it's enough just to throw it up and sort of hope for the best. We need to storytell, you know, and, um, months ago at this point, if you remember when Steph Curry broke this, uh, three point record, everyone was talking about it. It was this massive story that was all over the news and social. And, you know, it was just this hot conversation happening and all these people tuned in to watch him do it. And like, meanwhile, it was a regular season totally inconsequential game that is the power of storytelling mm-hmm. and that type of stuff is happening on the women's side but we're not telling the stories in that way and so we have to tell people you know these are these are the headlines and here's the women and here's what's at stake and here's why you should care and i will you know go one step further and say and why you should care is rarely because you know of a bunch of stuff happening off the field like if we want people to watch These women compete, we have to tell them why they should care about the game and what is happening in the competition. And so those are the two things we want to solve. And I think so much of what we're doing right now is the storytelling bucket. That's our, you know, our social channels, that's our website, that's our newsletter, those are our podcasts. And as we grow and expand, you know, we want to work to make the product, the games, more accessible.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you on the storytelling. Like I've had Maria Sharapova on here and she's talked about her. Love for architecture. Uh, Sue Bird talks about how she's a, a pretty good bowler. Uh, Candace Parker talks about being a mom. I think, like you said, people want to know a little bit about the human being and about the person and their life. And their sports accomplishments are great. But I have found, and correct me if I'm wrong, once you know an athlete or any person as a human being, you have a little bit stronger of a bond with them. Would you agree with that?
0: I agree and I disagree. I think that, you know, social media, yes, you want to know who these people are, but we really believe that it all starts on the court. The reason you care about Mm. LeBron James's family and chef and workout routine is because he is epic. He is so good at what he does. Right. And so I think on the women's side, I think sometimes we start at that point of who they are off the court Mm. and um, off the field and who they are as moms or you know, all the things we're doing, which to be very clear, I think it's amazing that these women are doing so much outside of their sport. But my challenge would be if we're focused so much on, you know, who they are as mothers, for example, how can we expect anyone to care about their stat line? You know what I mean? And we want them, we want women's sports, you know, this isn't and like sports for me is a big category. It is, you know, the on-field product, but it's also like you know, what they're wearing, walking up to the game and the shit talking and like who hates who and like, oh, I thought I should have been MVP and like, you know, what they're wearing after the game. Sports is a really big, broad category, but it's like there's so much happening there that's juicy and exciting and dramatic and really fun. I think we have to focus there
1: let me ask you about your investment again. Um, it's one thing when Billie Jean King and Abby Wambach and Hillary Knight invest in just women's sports. But I would think when Paul Rabel and Kevin Durant, Rich Klein and Tsai, when they invest, it shows other men like, look, you should be doing this as well. Do you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think like we're it's like, we're just very interested in getting like the key movers and shakers involved. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like sort of regardless of gender. And it it's obvious of like when you get the big time female athletes invested, like that is such, I mean, man, when Billie Jean King wanted to invest, like, I think I teared up because it was like, yeah. the work we're doing is like, she started this work. She yep. started this work all these years ago. And like for her, in some ways to almost like be like, here's the torch, like go run kid is like, holy, you know, damn, like that's really, really cool and special. And like, that felt like I felt that one really deep and like, same with Abby Wambach, like the same with the professional athletes. I think being a former athlete, like when, when we get that like love and respect from them, like that means everything to me. And it's not, they're not always going to like, especially the current athletes, they're not always going to like, what we say or maybe how we say it. But as long as they respect the work we're doing, the brand we're building, like that is really massive to me. I think like when we look to like Joe Psy, for example, and like Paul Rabel, like these are tremendous, tremendous business people that have done a lot of really amazing stuff in the sports space. And like to have the backing of a Joe Psy and his fun, like, I I mean, he is like the man in sports and like to have that person, like, you know, believe in the vision, want to get behind it, want to support, want to be a part of this next phase. Like, I just think that's a huge opportunity for us.
1: When I have had people like Mark Cuban or Maria Sharapova, who have both been on Shark Tank on this show, they say that most of the time when they're investing, they're investing in the founder. They they want to feel the energy and the passion of the founder. And, you know, I told you when I met you in person at Sports PR Summit, and I could even feel it from afar, like your energy is just different. You walk into a room, it's just different. And I would imagine that has really helped with getting investment and getting people on board with this mission and getting someone, like you said, like Billie Jean King, who kind of started this to say, hey, go, go run with this. How does that make you feel? Really flattered.
0: <laughs> I uh I really appreciate that. Um, I will say though, like I really think we have an amazing, amazing team. And I can go out there and you know beat the drum of women's sports all I want. But the thing that people do as soon as they're done talking to me or after they listen to me on a panel is they go check our content. And I think our content has been like our biggest validation point. Like they go open Instagram, they go open our website, they go open our newsletter, and they go, oh this is good. Mm-hmm. I get it. And so like, I really appreciate that. But I also like, think all the credit in our, in the world to our team.
1: Well, but I think you're smart. What you just said, like, you know, I'm, I'm obviously very familiar with PR. I think going, you do a lot of panels and you do podcasts like this. And I think when people get to know you, they do go check out just women's sports. And, you know, I think it's been really helpful to you to do these things because people are getting to know you and they're like, wow, she's really sharp. She has great energy. She surrounded herself with really good people. And and ultimately I want to go check out just women's sports.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, like there was a long period of time where like I, I couldn't, I couldn't like pay someone to put me on a panel. Like not that we tried, <laughs> but like you know what I mean? So like we have we have very humble beginnings. And I feel like we definitely don't take our opportunities for granted. And I feel like if people crack a door open, we will run through it.
1: And that's the energy right now. Yeah. How many people on your team right now?
0: We're around 20, maybe a few more than that, which also like this time last year, we had like five people. So like, that's a tremendous amount of growth for us.
1: Wow. And again, podcasts, videos, social media, you know, I'm seeing branding, you guys have hoodies, like there's a whole brand around this too. It's not just content and and media, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's like really core to our philosophy of like, I think it's really important building media today to build a brand. And obviously there's parts of our, our company where we want to be more capital J journalism and be very neutral and report the news, um, factually and with very minimal, you know, voice or tone or opinion. But I do think there's this other side of our business that is, you know, our podcast or our merge, um, having fun on social where we want to show personality because I really believe you no know, not just sports media, that's where media is going, and I think we need to lean into that
1: so Haley, when you're out doing these stories, are the leagues are athletes or other people taking just women's sports seriously and and kind of giving you that capital j journalism credibility that you deserve
0: yeah i I think this has also really evolved for us. you know we don't have a team of writers like some other media platforms do, and so, you know, it's a little bit different because we're usually sort of aggregating the news. Um, we have tried to be very clear around our lines. So, for example, on our podcasts or sometimes on social, we'll work with the athletes or different influencers in the space. That is a little bit more brand. That's a little more personality. It's a little more sort of fun, less capital J journalism. But we have a really hard line on our website and our newsletter. And that is truly capital J journalism. Um, you know, no matter who we work with or who we talk to or who's involved, that does not impact the work of our website or newsletter, really where we're focused on true journalism. Um, and you know, I'll also say too in the women's sports landscape, I think because it is so nascent, sometimes when we report things or share things or you know, share updates that are not incredibly flattering, you know, we'll get some backlash. And I I think, you know, as a space, we gotta move past that because we want media brands holding people accountable and, you know, reporting the good and the bad, like that's part of building legitimacy in the space. So, you know, it's important for us to keep pushing on that.
1: There's so much content that's available now. And I think everyone who starts a media company asks themselves this question, how do you create unique content that's going to gain traction and gain an audience? What's your answer to that question?
0: I am extremely bullish on social for women's sports right now, because we're seeing the early adopters to women's sports are, you know, it's really this post-Title IX generation of women that grew up playing sports at an amateur to elite level, and they're already out there, and they're engaging by, you know, following their favorite athlete, maybe their favorite team or league, but there is no single ecosystem pulling them together. And that's what we want to do. And I think that starts on social. And you know that audience is already there they're already used to social so let's go out and meet them where they're at and so you know our belief is like let's start with content let's start with content strategies that are going to reach and touch people on social and the other thing i'll say is you know you mentioned our our following on instagram like i do not think we've scratched the surface you know when you look at the nfl they say a third of the us is a fan of the uh, nfl i think we have to assume that We have not met the majority of women's sports fans today. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, early base, it's exciting. We want to build with them. Um, But there is so much more to go. So I think even from our content, it's like making it accessible to the new fan and making it, you know, in some ways, almost viewing it as marketing of like, our goal right now is to grow just women's sports, is to grow the space. So how do we build content and how do we build a strategy that's going to Get this in front of more and more people and then bring them in and bring them on this journey so we can keep growing.
1: I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I used to do some consulting for Nike. And, you know, when you sign a contract with Nike as an athlete, you have a certain number of appearances that you're supposed to do. And they would always leave the appearances on the table. They were too afraid to ask the athlete to do anything or, you know, post anything on social. And I'm just wondering, you know, I mentioned the investors and the prominent people that you have. Uh, as part of Just Women's Sports, how easy or difficult is it to go to them and say, hey, you've got this big following on social. Can you amplify Just Women's Sports on your platform so that we can get people you know, looking at, at what we're doing here? Or is it like, well, they already gave me their money. I don't want to bother them any more than that, so I'm not going to ask them to also amplify me on social.
0: Um, you can probably ask any of our investors. I'm pretty shameless. I don't mind (laughs) asking for stuff. But you know, I view it like we're on the same team. Like we both we want to, you know, we're on the same team and we want to see just when sports win. And so, like the way I try and navigate it is not just gonna like bombard people with ass all the time, but I want to be smart. And so when I think there's a smart way that we can work together. I will ask and I will ask and I will ask. And then if they say no, that's fine. I'll ask for the next one. (laughs) Like, I think that's what we have to do in this space. Like we have to be smart and be thoughtful and strategic. But then once we see an opportunity, we have to push. And if we get a no, we have to keep pushing. And that's my philosophy with, you know, sort of the influences in our network. And that's our philosophy, you know, really as a company.
1: What about when it comes to advertisers? Again, the people I just mentioned have great relationships with advertisers. I'm sure... And do you find advertisers on your own who either come to you or who you seek out as uh, you know someone wanting to invest uh, as an advertiser in your platform? What are you seeing on that landscape right now?
0: Yeah, I think this is another area where I have seen a massive shift. When we first started going to advertisers, you know, I was leading a lot of those conversations. Early stage startup, you know, people wear multiple hats, and. A lot of the feedback was, do people care about women's sports? Is this the real business? That there's an audience here. That also, in the last six months, has dramatically shifted, and we are overwhelmed with advertiser interest right now. And it's brands seeing this is an exciting space where we're really seeing a return on investment, and they want to activate. And so, you know, I think we've been really fortunate to work with, you know, brands like Nike, Gatorade, Coinbase, uh, Mastercard. Um, And then, you know, some advertisers we've had for a long time, for example, like a WISP, but there is hunger for these sponsors to get involved and to execute smart activations. And so, I I mean, there's just that that has just been a massive shift in landscape that I think is really exciting.
1: What are they looking for? I mean, every advertiser is looking for visibility, right? Beyond that, what kind of activations are they looking for? What are they looking for when they become a partner of Just Women's Sports?
0: Yeah, I think obviously right now we're an early stage company, so we don't have the reach that legacy media has. But what we have in spades is the engagement and the audience. So, if you want to reach, you know, as we grow and expand, you know, the hope and ambition is that our audience grows and expands too. But really, the core we're built around is active millennial women today. And so, if you want to reach that demographic and you want a highly engaged demographic, that's us. And so, We've seen, you know, had some really successful activations. For example, like with Dick's Sporting Goods, we did something around March Madness, and like um, we put together a bracket challenge with them and in a, a party, and we got Puma and stuff involved. And like the feedback and the response and how it went was it was crazy, crazy cool. And so I, that's how we're looking to work with advertisers in this space. And then, you know, what we're working on is getting the scale. So not only can we give you the engagement um, and sort of the branding, but we can also give you the reach.
1: When you're trying to engage, again, there's a lot of content out there and people can post and post and post. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to engage. What's the key to engaging?
0: I mean, that is the million dollar question. But you're doing uh, it well. No, I, I think for us, the key to our engagement, especially on social, is that we treat women's sports like sports. We are going to give you the highlights and we're going to talk sports to you. We're going to be like, Oh, upper 90 bank. Like, we're going to give you the sport the way you know it and have fun with it. Like, I do think sometimes in women's sports, there's this push towards, you know, almost treating women's sports like a charity and using words like support or sort of, you know, it's the right thing to do or female athletes are important. And then you see activations against, you know, so much is happening around the anniversary of Title IX or women and girls in sports day. And I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate those days. Like, those are, Hugely important, and impactful days that are worth, um, you know, giving their light to. But I also think that like why we like sports is because they're fun, you know? And so it's like our ambition and hope is we want to give you the fun. We don't want to take this too seriously. Like we want to give you sports, you know, in the women's sports space. And we think these women are dope athletes that have a lot to say. They have a cool vibe. There's cool clothes. They're really, really phenomenal at the sports they play. Like let's just have some fun with it. And I think. That is our brand ethos, and that's the ethos I, I hope you should um feel and see from our content. And I think for us, that's why it's
1: working. Haley, we're seeing TV ratings skyrocket for things like women's college softball, the NCAA women's basketball tournament, WNBA games, NWSL games. Is that all kind of uh helping your efforts as well? I would imagine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's crazy to me about that is that is with minimal investment minimal coverage you know very little operate like game around the game content like imagine if we invested and we built the ecosystem that exists on the men's side like oh my god where could
1: this go yeah and don't you think like your investors and some of these people that you're talking to maybe they're starting to see that
0: absolutely i i think it's starting to click and i think the challenge now for all of us in the space, you know, the, the leagues, the media brands, the sponsors. It's like keep pushing. Something has changed. There's momentum. There's an opportunity. Let's push women's sports to the mainstream.
1: Well, and when you see things like the U.S. women's national team, you know, equal pay with the men, and you see at Wimbledon equal pay for the women and the men, like that's also got to help this effort. I would think where these organizations and leagues are saying, look, women should be treated on the same level as men, you know, everyone else should do the same. Absolutely.
0: And I think like the the benefits of having more girls and women play sports like that's well documented and I think it's really cool that like obviously there's a bigger impact to the work we're doing, um but I think it all starts with like let's make women's sports cool. Let's make it big. Let's make it fun. Like I want, you know, 500,000 people watching an NWL game to be the norm, you know, not the breakout. And so I think it's all really, really exciting, and there's a big opportunity in front of us.
1: One of the things that I think is also starting to help is sports betting has grown so much; it's so big, and now you're starting to see women's games have lines, and you know there's over unders on player prop bets, and you know you're seeing uh, WNBA players listed right alongside NBA players, and again, I think it gives it more credibility and keeps everything top of mind. So. How is sports betting maybe helping this effort?
0: I think sports betting, like I am personally very bullish on it. And I think there's actually a lot more work we could do. We have seen, and we've heard from multiple people that they've gotten into college basketball or the WNBA through betting. Hmm. You know, maybe they bet on men's games. They saw a line on the women's side. They go, Hmm, let me throw some money down because they have money down. They start to watch the game. Now they're watching the game and they're going, Oh shit, these women can play. And I think that, can not only be like, a you know, betting can not only be huge validation, you know, a sort of fun extension of the women's sports space, but it can be a big driver of audience growth and engagement. So I think there's a lot more work we could be doing there. And I think there's some low hanging fruit on that side that we're still not really touching. So I think a big opportunity and a lot more work to do
1: on that. All right, just a couple minutes left. What's a typical day for you, or do you not even have a typical day at this point?
0: <laughs> um, the days are becoming a little bit more typical right now. Uh, I think we've hit a point where I used to do a lot, like very early days at Just Women Sports. I personally used to produce Kelly's podcast, which we laugh about. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I early, early days, like I ran the social media accounts and I wrote the newsletter and I wrote a lot of pieces on the website. I mean, that was years ago at this point. And so, I think I am really personally starting to shift out of doing a lot of that. And now we have amazing, amazing content creators and, you know, people in marketing or sales that are much better at those jobs than I ever was. Um, and, you know, a lot of my job now is, you know, I have a lot of meetings. I've definitely leveled up. Um, we're leveling up as an organization. Um, and I think, and you didn't really ask this, but this is very top of mind. You know, it's the balance of the day-to-day and looking ahead and Mm -hmm. pushing and thinking about where we're going next.
1: Well, and you have investors now. So when you take on investors, there's a certain level of responsibility to them that doesn't exist when it's just a small operation. So I would imagine, you know, you're meeting with investors and, you know, updating them as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely in the balance of we have a bigger internal team than we've ever had, and that will continue to be
1: true. And we
0: have a bigger investment team than we've ever had. So just managing more people and higher expectations, but yeah, you know, that's why you play the game, right? You want I,
1: the opportunity. Exactly. All right. So, just women's sports uh, has a unique spot in the landscape. I think everyone would agree. If you look forward two years, five years, like I'm sure you're you're looking ahead, what does it look like
0: in two years? Or past that point, I want us to be the clear leader in women's sports, no if, ands, or buts. I want it to be an ecosystem where you can, you know, get your news, your analysis, your stats, and you can watch the games. And that's where
1: that's where I see us going. And you see yourself being involved with this for the long term. I mean, I know people start things and then they exit and they hand it over to a, you know, a bigger entity with more bandwidth, but you know, this seems like this is your baby. For
0: better or worse, my heart and soul is all over this company. I think it would be really hard to walk
1: away. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. As an entrepreneur myself, I, I you know you become attached to these companies that you grow, and, and it is hard to walk away. Haley Rosen, the CEO and founder of Just Women's Sports. Find them online at justwomensports.com. They've got great content on social, podcasts, videos, just a tremendous uh, platform, very unique in our industry. And... Haley, like I said, it was just so great to meet you in person in New York. And thanks for joining me here for this conversation on Sports Business Radio.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome.
1: You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. I am on my Underdog Fantasy app every night. Underdog Fantasy is the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. It's the fastest growing fantasy app ever released with investors that include Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Adam Schefter, Jared Goff. And many more. The Underdog Fantasy app is available at underdogfantasy.com on iOS or on Android. I love it. I play a lot of Pick'em, I do Rivals, there's best ball. It makes watching the games a lot more fun. So, we've got a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. New users can get up to $100 matched on their first deposit when they use the code SBR. So download the app at underdogfantasy.com and then enter the promo code SBR to get up to $100 to play with. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.
2: This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SBRadio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at SportsBusinessRadio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.